It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I think what I'll take away from it is that First of all, a guy who started 10 months ago with a 2% name ID in a poll that had a 3% margin of error, who spends time out listening to voters and meeting with them and holding roundtables and, and presenting a platform that, that actually, it actually impacts those issues that are most important to Virginians. I mean, this is about government going to work for Virginians and getting our taxes down and making sure we have great schools and great jobs and safe communities. And it's these issues that impact people's lives every single day. And my opponent has been running on some different platform. He doesn't even have a vision for Virginia. He, he didn't do a good job last time as governor. And Virginians are just tired of recycled, divisive politics. And they're ready for something fresh and new. Um, uh, so last... I think this is the, my big takeaway, which is it's about the voters, folks. Yep, I guess it is. And the voters really showed up in Virginia last night. And they thought... Uh, there were more record numbers of poll workers. Remember we've been talking about that? Get hired at the polls, and then you have control of what happens. And that's what happened in Virginia. People just came out of the woodwork, and attorneys came out of the woodwork to uh, to do what they could do uh, to, to make sure that the election was fair. Uh, so that was Glenn Youngkin talking about what he's going to do. He's going to uh, jump in right away. He's, of course, a multimillionaire. He's put a lot of his own money into this race. Terry McAuliffe, though, uh, here's the deal. My understanding, and it, it's changing, you know, moment by moment, but my understanding is that there's like 100,000 uh, votes between them. So that might assure when I have a couple of headlines here who say that Youngkin has defeated McAuliffe. Youngkin will be the next governor of Virginia. Yeah, well, I, you know, I still, I have to tell you, I still have... I'm not sure that's going to happen. I will believe it when I see it. I believe he did win Youngkin based on what we're hearing. Uh, but uh, McAuliffe, when he has not conceded, and actually I want you to hear what he said last night. It's very short, but just listen carefully. This is clip one. So we still got a lot of votes to count. We got about 18% of the vote out. So we're going to continue to count the votes because every single Virginian deserves to have their vote counted. Yeah, so that's what they always say. Uh, we're going to count the votes, you know, because every single person deserves to have their vote counted. And that's almost a dog whistle to me uh, for, hey, listen, we got something in mind. And I'll give you why I think they have something in mind. Um, so uh, Mike Cernovich, who is a national security expert, just general smart guy in D.C., tweeted that the McAuliffe race is giving me flashbacks to the 2018 congressional midterm elections. Several Democrats across California refused to concede even after the AP called the race. They knew more votes were coming in. It feels that way tonight. Now, look, I don't want this to happen. I just want you to be aware 
that this could happen. And why wouldn't it happen? This is what they do. They are desperate to keep their power. They're not going to give up easily. And um, this is from another uh, journalist, Matt Tybee. He says, uh, he's tweeted last night, from Iowa to New Hampshire to the New York City mayor's race to, yes, last year's presidential race, I feel like I've covered too many election night scenes in recent years when I went to bed too sure of a result. Here in Virginia, not saying a thing until it's called. And I think that's probably smart, and that's where I am too. Uh, I can't think there's probably going to be a fight ahead. Some Jack Posobiec put it this way, who else knows to pay attention to what happens at 3 a.m.? All right, nothing has happened yet, uh, but I'm just telling you to be aware. This election has been going on since uh, September 17th in Virginia, and um, it's been amazing, really, to see so many people get involved and different kinds of people. And I told you yesterday that I thought actually Virginia might be the place where the back is broken of that cudgel of racism that the left uses constantly, almost sickeningly. It's just getting its getting to where it doesn't mean anything, and it should mean something. There is real racism. They use it so often, they take away the meaning of it, and it could be that Virginia has broken the back of that. Uh, Winsome Sears is the new lieutenant governor. She's the black former Marine and a many, million other things. I think she's a graduate of Harvard. She's incredible. She's the new lieutenant governor, a Republican candidate. And Ken Cuccinelli told me a couple of days ago that she's the most conservative candidate in the race. And then second to that is the, um, his, I can't think of his name and I don't have it in front of me, but the, the attorney general, uh, his, a, fa- a Cuban immigrant, his parent, he's a first generation immigrant, has won the uh, attorney general race. I mean, this is amazing for Virginia. And uh, also the House of Delegates, it looks like the Republicans will take back the House of Delegates this is amazing for Virginia. If if uh, if Glenn Youngkin prevails in this, and those top offices I just mentioned to you prevail, and the House of Delegates becomes Republican, it will change everything. Virginians have been under the grip of the tyranny of the left. The left was, you know, taking lots of victory laps when they started stealing Virginia. And uh, Virginia's been a red state for a long time. And you have to understand, Virginia has this incredible history. Can't we say George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and a few other folk? We could say all of those people, George Mason also. It is really a bir- the birthplace of our country in many ways, the thoughts of our country, the intellectual foundations. And Virginians take their duty as America, uh, American citizens pretty seriously. That's what I love about Virginia. And so um, it's really been a sad thing to see them have control of their state wrested from them because of the influx of so many people from the left in northern Virginia near the capital. So anyway, I just this is a very big deal. But I want to mention this uh, and just uh, this is from Jim Hoff, Joe Hoft, and he says it's happening again. A judge in Virginia dismisses cases, uh, allows Fairfax County to include absentee and mail-in ballots in governor election that violates the law. Um, so I'm going to, I am not going to actually go into that. And the reason I'm not is because a Christian, our friend Christian Adams, is going to be uh, hosting for me tomorrow. Christian's all over this. You know, this is his bailiwick, this is his work, and he's involved in this particular case. And I know that he's going to talk about that. So I'm going to let him do that tomorrow. I want to tell you that um, I, I told you yesterday that. Terry McAuliffe has hired Mark Elias, and I know that that's not a familiar name to you, but our friend Hans von Spakowski at uh, Heritage has 
written an article uh, just kind of reminding people of who Mark Elias is. He's known for uh, helping people who look like they've lost elections win the election. The election. Does anybody remember Al Franken beating Norm Coleman up in Minnesota? Finally, Norm Coleman beat him, and then it went back and forth for like six months, it seems to me. It was months and months, and they finally managed to eke out a few hundred votes for Al Franken. Turns out then, later, uh, a group found out that the there, at least 341 felons had voted illegally in that race, uh, but it was too late because Al Franken was, you know, sitting in the seat, and he was, uh, you could argue, the the, the vote that uh, caused uh, Obamacare to go into effect. So there, uh, Mark Elias represented Hillary, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016. <laughs> he was very involved in all of the, you know, all that, whatever he was involved in, he was involved in. He was also involved with uh, hiring Fusion GPS uh, and the Russian collusion scandal against President Trump. He was right in the thick of that. He also led lawsuits around the country to change state laws to allow for expanding mail-in and absentee balloting. Um, and he was censured, by the way, in March by the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, he was censured along with other lawyers uh, in that Perkins Coy uh, law firm, which is the one out of that hired Fusion GPS that represented Mrs. Clinton, represents the Democratic National Committee. That's the speed version of who Mark Elias is. And so that's who's hired by Terry McAuliffe to kind of sweep up now that he seems to have lost. So just be aware. Uh, and I, But I want to take you around the country because there are other races that— um, Okay, a couple of things. I'll just do scatter shot here. Uh, governor Phil Murphy, of course, has been one of the most draconian governors when it comes to COVID restrictions. And uh, everyone expected him to win last night because he was ahead in the polls. And Jack Ciaturelli uh, uh, was his opponent. And so now, according to just this morning at 6.30, okay, that's the latest I have, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, um, Jack Ciaturelli is, uh, is in the lead. But it might not surprise you to find that, um, let's see, I want to read you, yeah, this is what Phil Murphy said. It sounds a lot like Terry McAuliffe. He said, we are all sorry that tonight cannot be yet the celebration we wanted it to be. But when every vote is counted, and every vote will be counted, we hope to have a celebration. So I'm sure they've got it all worked out in New Jersey when every vote is counted. It's only fair, you see. That's what they always tell you. Um, So... And then also in Long Island, it looks like uh, all the district attorney races have been flipped to the Republican side of the column, which is amazing. You know, I think you have to know that George Soros and many people on the left have poured millions of dollars into local uh, prosecutor races. They're called DAs or different things in different places, states attorneys, uh, to get radical leftist attorneys to let criminals off. That's why criminals are roaming, roaming the streets and getting off in Chicago, the same thing's happening in San Francisco and in other places around the country where these leftist district attorneys or state's attorneys have been allowed to uh, just run roughshod over normal practice of the treatment of criminals. And so that means that in Long Island, three have flipped to the GOP, three, three people that are law and order. So uh, that's something to be happy about. In Ohio... Now, I don't know a lot about this race. I think I read, what I thought I had read was that uh, this was going to be uh, a Democratic seat. It's the 15th Congressional District. Many of you may be listening in, in from that part, and I don't have time to open the phone lines to be corrected here. All I know is that Republican Mike Carey has won that seat. So 
Another Republican will go to into the House of Representatives, which makes me laugh because I read from uh, Jack Posobiec that uh, Nancy Pelosi was telling people last night she's not running for re-election. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that, that might be some good news. All right. Um, I want to give you—oh, I started this down this road, and I didn't play this clip. I told you that I think that this race in Virginia, this—, this I think that it's possible because of critical race theory being exposed for what it really is, the virulent racist curriculum it really is, and black parents understanding fully that this we can't do this. We live together. We are all Americans. Uh, we cannot be divided by these leftist wacko. Uh, I'd like to say wacko, but they're insidious. They're smart. They're smart like foxes, and they're trying to divide and separate and harm this country through the use of racism. Well, a black Virginia voter uh, was interviewed last night, and this is what he had to say, clip three. Um, African-Americans are, are waking up. Um, things are breaking. I, I saw some polls recently where um, Biden received 90% of the African-American vote in Virginia, and now Youngkin is trending uh, towards an eight-point um, gap into that. So uh, uh, McAuliffe, only 82% of African-Americans, even higher for African-American males. African-Americans are tired we're sick and tired. Um, I have friends who tell me, hey, I'm voting for the other guy, but don't tell anybody. They don't want their family to know because right. it's, you know, it's not cool. It's not um, what you do if you're black. Right. Joe Biden said, if you don't, you don't vote for me, you're not black. I'm sorry. I took a shower this morning. I'm black. Yeah. So, I mean, I, really, I do think, I think uh, black, look, <laughs> It's about our view on things. It's about our worldview, the way we, uh, way we raise our children, the, what we believe about God. It has nothing to do with our skin color. These are the things that unite us. It's the Constitution and the principles of our founding fathers. And uh, uh, so that's why uh, Winsome Sears, Winsome, I believe their last name is Sears, and the, the Attorney General, uh, Hispanic from Cuba, just elected as Republicans, we're, we're, we can agree. We, it has nothing to do with color. It has to do with the way we think about things. And so we've got to break the back of the, uh, the stirring up of racism to hurt every community, white and black and brown, and make life miserable in this country so that we turn against each other. Who wants to live that way? Do you want to live that way? I don't. And so people in Virginia don't either. And that's why they turned out the way they did last night. God bless each and every one who worked so hard. And we just pray that the results will uh, will hold. Uh, that's all we can do right now. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Maybe this is you too. A lot of people do not like their health plan right now and they're worried they're stuck with it. One that costs too much or doesn't meet their needs or for whatever reason, they're just not happy with it. If that is you, some great news. There really is another choice. It's called MediShare and it's such a great option, especially if you're self-employed, changing jobs or part of the gig economy. Here's what you get when you switch to MediShare. First, huge savings. The typical family saves $500 a month you also get a massive doctor network, or you can just use the doctor of your choice, or MediShare's free 24-7 telehealth option. And you get to be part of something you can believe in. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. No wonder MediShare gets double the customer satisfaction ratings compared with typical health insurance. So no, you are not stuck. You've got a great alternative. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for David Pekoski, Administrator of the Transportation Safety Administration. His agency oversees the security of the traveling public in the United States. Deuteronomy 31.8 reminds us of the protection we seek from God as we travel. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for David Pekoski as he works to ensure safe travel in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. This fall, Liberty University is celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ. Since 1971, Liberty has been training Christ-centered men and women with the values, knowledge, and skills essential for impacting the world, a vision that continues today. The story of Liberty University is one of unwavering faith, and we invite you to be part of the next chapter. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Visit liberty.edu to learn more. Again, that's liberty.edu. The Democrats and their propagandists in the mainstream media have been rocked by a raging case of Brandon derangement syndrome. It's a variant of Trump derangement syndrome. Millions of Americans have embraced the Let's Go Brandon chant as a family-friendly version of a more profane insult directed at President Biden. The other day, a Southwest Airlines pilot came under fire after he added a Let's Go Brandon during routine announcements to passengers. One of the passengers turned out to be an Associated Press reporter. She demanded the flight crew unlock the cockpit so she could confront the pilot. They declined, but Southwest says they were investigating. Many say the pilot should be fired. Let's Go Brandon has become a great unifier of people across the nation who are frustrated with the Biden administration's policies regarding Afghanistan, the China virus, and the border. Let's Go Brandon is the modern-day equivalent to Don't Tread on Me. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Today's a monumental day in the course of this pandemic and one that many of us have been very eager to see. For almost two full years, school has been fundamentally changed. There are children in second grade who have never experienced a normal school year. There are students in middle school who missed out on school sports and extracurricular activities. There are missed proms and homecoming dances and too many missed graduations. We have watched as the education gaps that exist in this country have widened as this virus has disproportionately impacted racial and ethnic minority communities. Pediatric vaccination has the power to help us change all of that and to let us move towards schools as we once knew it and hope it can be, a safe and enriching environment for all of our children. I also think that I share with you a perspective that pediatric vaccination is just one important piece to this puzzle. It is important that we also continue to vaccinate as many adults as possible to provide protection to children in the community including those younger than five who may not be eligible yet for vaccination. 
That's Rochelle Walensky, the uh, the guru of uh, of COVID. Right now, she's our new guru. And yesterday, the CDC panel voted to recommend the Pfizer vaccine for children ages five through eleven, and she's really happy about that. Uh, also, just a couple of updates: a Louisiana teenager was given a COVID nineteen vaccine yesterday without parental permission. He's underage. A judge in Chicago has uh, paused the vaccine mandate for the police, which is good news because they are out there marching, at least for right now. The Air Force has booted 40 unvaccinated recruits, trainees ahead of the deadline. And it's, so they just booted them because, you know, they didn't want to get the shot, so they didn't even wait for the deadline. Meanwhile, researchers are calling for a halt on COVID-19 vaccines for pregnant women after they have reanalyzed a CDC Study And last but not least, another story that is worth going into, but we don't have time. Um, uh, Glenn Greenwald is reporting that the Washington Post is preparing a hit piece on the group that actually revealed the gruesome dog experimentations that were happening uh, in the the National Institutes for Health under uh, Anthony Fauci. So they're going to do a hit piece on them to, to, of course, discredit them. And so... Here it is. That's the news for today. Well, I want to give you some good news because there are people, as you know, fighting back on this, uh, on the vaccines, on forced vaccines, on mandates. And we're still in a terrible struggle because a lot of you are facing, you know, being laid off at work, making terrible choices. A lot of you in the military, a lot of you who have regular jobs and um, people are fighting back and that's what it's going to take. So I want to talk to you about someone who's really fighting back you know, doctors are in a precarious position uh, because if they believe the truth about this, and I think uh, the truth is that the vaccine can be very dangerous uh, and should not be mandated. That's just one part of this. But if you believe that as a medical person, you know, you are putting your own uh, uh, career on the line. And so I've asked a doctor I recently met who practices in Ocala, Florida, to join us this morning. Uh, Dr. John Littell is a board-certified family uh, physician. Uh, He got his MD from Washington University. He was with the U.S. Army for a number of years. Uh, He also uh, was on the faculty of the University of Central Florida School of Medicine. He was the president of the County Medical Society and chief of staff at the Florida Hospital. And so uh, he joins me this morning because he's all in in this fight against what we believe is false information. Dr. Littell, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Glad I could be here, Sandy. Um, And and a very good introduction there by presenting uh, Mrs. Walensky from the CDC, who, of course, is not a doctor. Uh, who pretends to be one every day, and kind of sort of like Dr. Fauci, who hasn't seen a patient in 50 years, um, who is a doctor, but is, is really has become, uh, you know, a unifying presence among many of us who, who see him as 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 somebody who who is beholden to so many interests except the interests of the patients for whom we care, uh, the individual patients, and that is the problem with the CDC in, in, in general. And most government entities is that they do not really, uh, these are not people who spend time in the office with children and families uh, making decisions day to day based on the individual risks of the person before them and, and, and whether or not that person really needs to be receiving on the receiving end of these new experimental uh, vaccines. Well, of course, I think the point is that that's not important to them. Uh, they have an agenda that's far greater and more lofty, according to them. And I, when I was just reading about the 
the climate uh, conference in, uh, I think it's in, in Holland. Oh, I can't even remember. I think it's Amsterdam, wherever they are overseas. And, uh, you know, all this discussion of population control and uh, the, the insidious notion that this may all go back. This is, this is wild and wacky, but I actually believe there's truth to this uh, because the international powers that want population control are so dark and they want to do it by eliminating populations. And so the speculation is that this vaccine is a perfect way to accomplish that. I don't know where you stand on that, and if you even want to comment uh, on it. No. Well, no, I'm glad you it, it I started working on a book back in the 90s. It's, it's called The Hidden Truth. I think you're familiar with it, uh, Deception in Women's Healthcare. And I I was looking at this issue back in the in the mid-90s, uh, right after I got out of, my, out of my Army service as a family physician. And I, would, I realized that there were so many things happening in the world of medicine that were directly targeted towards destroying fertility in women, especially young women, um, damaging them forever. And, and so I saw then, with the introduction of things such as Depo-Provera and many of the other modern methods of birth control, that, that there was a callousness, a disregard for fertility, not just in women, but in men as well. That, that now, as I look back over the last 30 years, it's, I see it's, it's intentional. And with the introduction of a product such as these experimental vaccines, which we know have incredible concentrations of the spike proteins in the reproductive organs, you know, it goes along with the fact, as I mentioned in my book, that Bill Gates' ancestry is eugenicists. I mean, his father and mother were very much involved with Margaret Sanger um, and her initial groundworking. Uh, you know her movement uh, towards towards really eliminating the weeds in in, in in you know which what she called the weeds right the the undesirables in society, um, uh, and so I can go on and on about the things I mentioned it in my book the hidden truth which people can get uh, from just going to my my John Latell MD uh, website but it's 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 fascinating it's 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 upsetting because really as doctors we should be thinking about preserving what God has made in our patients, you know, helping them to be, the, to live full lives, you know, and which also includes their reproductive potential. And, um, and yet we become, uh, you know, the medical profession has become essentially this an extension uh, of the eugenicists, the population control fanatics. Um, the, the, uh, the, even you hear the Congresswoman saying it's time for people to stop having children completely uh, this is the mentality that drives this. It's not a humanitarian, uh, you know, you look at children six years old and seven, and they're saying, oh, these poor children are dying from COVID. We need to give them these vaccines. Well, no, let's look at other man other ways we can prevent children from getting sick enough from COVID, which includes, um, well, for one, respecting the immune systems, which God has given them, not completely um, usurping their... <laughs> Their their uh, immune system. You know they, these these vaccines literally inject these children with the messenger RNA from an aborted fetus and dictate to well how does this work? The DNA cells from the aborted fetus, right from t from 20 years ago, have been perpetuated in labs, and then we've used their cells that their living DNA to produce these messenger RNA strands, which are then introduced into our bodies. To dictate to our bodies how to fight the how to fight the COVID virus that produces the spike protein. Well, you know, with children with healthy immune systems, they've got this figured out. And the fact that people say, "Oh, the hospitalizations went up," 
we didn't see a tremendous increase in mortality in children from COVID. We had people going in the hospital the same way we every year with the flu, we get children in the hospital. But still, at the end of the day, what Mrs. Walensky said at the beginning of your program about how we're going to save lives with this vaccine, that is just outrageously untrue. Um, we know for a fact that these vaccines will do and are doing more harm to children than they will benefit them. Yeah, it's, it's infuriating. And you know, you know, mandates are just around the corner for our kids. And uh, I, so this is, this is maybe, you know, I guess what just happened in Virginia where parents rose up against critical race theory and transgenderism, uh, raping boys dressed in a, dresses, uh, raping girls in the bathroom was just a bridge too far. Maybe people will finally that think that's a bridge too far. I want to just give your, uh, your website, your website. It's John com. John L I T T E L L M D.com. And his book that he's mentioning is the hidden, Truth, but of course you'll get lots more information at that website, johnlatellmd.com. And I want to jump ahead. I have some more practical questions about COVID to ask you, but you are um, sponsoring a summit this Saturday. Uh, it's called the Florida, Florida Summit on COVID. It's going to be at the World Equestrian Center at in um, Ocala, Florida. It's uh, happening from 10 to 3 and people can sign up on eventbrite.com. There will be speakers like Paul Alexander, Jeff Childers, Ryan Cole, Heather Gessling, Molly James, Pierre Corey, uh, John, of course, will be there, and uh, Peter McCullough and others. And so it will be quite a, quite a lineup. And that again, that's in Ocala, Florida. If any of you are in Florida, I know lots of you are that listen. Uh, it's 10 to 3. And so, Dr. Littell, I'm curious, who are you trying to reach with this summit? Who is your main target audience? Well, you know, the target audience, other than the 800 people that have already signed up, uh, is <laughs> which, by the way, for those who go online, they're going to see that it's already sold out. That doesn't mean we're, we are live streaming the event. We are any healthcare professionals that still want to come for CME, for continuing credit, will be able to accommodate at the door. But the general public, we won't because there's a limited number of uh, well, meals for one, it's a luncheon, and we had to cut that off yesterday. But there will be an opportunity for anyone listening to still live stream the event, and that link will be available on the Eventbrite site. I, I think we're going to go with Florida COVID Summit. But go to get to that, it is it is the Florida Summit on COVID. And um, the, the reality is the 800 people who attend are just going to be the tip of the iceberg. With the live streaming, we expect to reach tens of thousands of people. We've already heard this. I was on a conference call last night with all the speakers from all over the country, from California and Idaho, Texas, Missouri. And they're all flying in to Ocala, Florida, to basically get three main points out that need to be uh, you know, agreed upon, not just by the people coming, but by the state legislators in Florida. We really expect the governor, who's been amazing in Florida, who's convening an emergency legislative session uh, in just less than two weeks on the topic of COVID, to focus in like a laser on these three issues, one of which we've already touched on, which is vaccines and children. What are we doing to our children? Number two, what are we doing to COVID-recovered people, people who have natural immunity, by mandating that they receive these vaccines? Members of the military, athletes, airline pilots, doctors and nurses, especially doctors and nurses like myself, I've had it twice. I'm fully recovered, fully immune for anyone to require me to, on top of my natural immunity, just 
stupid. I mean, it's ridiculous. We've never done this with any disease in the history of medicine. If you've had measles, you don't get a vaccine against measles. If you've had hepatitis B, the same thing. All these vaccinatable illnesses, these things that we have vaccines for, we don't go after people who've already had the disease. What is going on with vaccine mandates and COVID recovered and in children? And then, of course, the big treatment, the big issue is the early treatment. The fact that we as physicians still are having obstacles put up in front of us and patients can't receive the effect of early treatments, like uh, especially ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I'm. It's a. Uh, I wish we had a whole hour to talk about this because I just was. Yeah. There's a. There was a press conference just last week, and they caught uh, some. I don't know if they were doctors and nurses. It, they may have been hospital administrators or maybe a mix. Uh, but the whole point was this was out of Arizona and I think one other state, talking about suppression of visitation for COVID patients, suppression of nutrition for them, denial of vital mm-hmm. medicines, all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would imagine, I can't even imagine, this has probably been one of the hardest things, well, one of the many hard things, is to see our medical community turned into actual, it feels like enemies I can't trust. I remember talking about euthanasia years ago uh, in Holland and how people carried a card in their wallet uh, saying, please do not kill me, please let me live, so that if they were in an accident and they went to the hospital, the doctors would, because they had requested and had the card, save their lives because the the doctors were given the power to make decisions of of life and death when the person was not necessarily going to die. And the whole notion of doctors suddenly not being trusted with our lives, and that's what I see as kind of a byproduct of this COVID uh, protocol. Do you disagree with that? No, it is. It is. Oh, no, there's been a callousness, as I said, in medicine uh, that's, that's been there forever. But with COVID, or not forever, I should say, in my career, I've seen it in the last 30 years, though. People uh, now with COVID, patients who are coming in, particularly that were unvaccinated because of a freely made decision, are being, you know, stuck up on these COVID units. And in many cases, um, you, know, you know, there's amazing nurses out there. And there are amazing doctors out there still. But having been one who goes into the hospitals... Let him hold a break, please, five minutes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I basically need to tell you, because I have to get back to patients, that you are right, Sandy. We Patients have been giving up their rights to receive medications and treatment um, uh, by being checking into a hospital. When have we seen that in the history of medicine? Never. Same thing with their own doctors. So I would just, you know, encourage people to go live stream this event, the Florida COVID Summit that's coming up, um, and then uh, get my book if they want to hear more about the what's been going on in healthcare. And pray for physicians out there who are still independent and able to buck the system, because the ones who are employed by the hospitals don't have a say anymore. So we need more young doctors and young nurses and courageous people, people with faith and compassion to lead the way. All right, it's uh, eventbrite.com, and it's Florida Summit on COVID. I want to ask you one last practical question. You've alluded to it, but I just have to ask, because there's such conflicting uh, information about what it means to have immunity. You know, the CDC just came out saying uh, that uh, the vaccine gives longer immunity than natural immunity. Can you just briefly respond to that? I don't know how that. I don't know how they know that. How can that be? And is it true? They, <laughs> it's not the truth. It's clearly not the truth because we haven't got we haven't op- we haven't even started reading the book on natural immunity from COVID. I know we've seen studies that go out as long as 13 months. We know that what we just saw with the Delta variant in Florida is that people who are vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna did not have lost lasting immunity beyond six months. 
if they had it, if they had it at all, not to mention the side effects. And that's only the B-cell immunity. That's only humoral immunity, which is measured easily in the blood. There's no discussion in that report of T-cell immunity, what's going on in the bone marrow. That's why Dr. Ryan Cole is such a huge resource for this. This man's been all over the map. He's an immunologist and pathologist. So you check his stuff out online. You check him out when he comes here to Ocala. If you can live stream the event, um, you'd be, we'd be very happy to hear that. But no, we'll be, we'll be addressing natural immunity and how long-lasting it is how robust it is. It's not just the amount of time that it lasts. It's the quality of the immune, the fact that you have so many levels of immunity when, you have received, when you've gotten a natural infection, it's right down to the core of your bone marrow, whereas when you're giving these vaccines, it's just one level of immunity, if at all, which is just the humoral immunity, the B cells. So you know, these things are never discussed. Of course, they're not going to give you the full truth. That's why my book is called The Hidden Truth, which you can't get from the CDC or the FDA. Uh, okay. But uh, I'm glad you got me on the show, Sandy. I'm going to go back and, and see some patients. There's a lot going on. And pray yes. for one of my patients in the hospital suffering from COVID today. If I ask your entire uh, audience to pray for this gentleman, uh, he, he needs prayers. He, uh, we Can do, you give us a first a little name? bit of a delay. Can James, you give us a yeah, first James, Yeah, okay. yeah James right. needs prayers. And I appreciate those prayers for him. I'll be seeing him this afternoon. And uh, we're, we're all fighting as hard as we can uh, day in and day out for the truth as you are at your station and your listeners are. And, but more important than um, the medications I provide are, is the, are the prayers that you offer up and the hope that people get from having faith in Christ and his ability to heal. That's what we need. We need more faith and hope in medicine. Yeah. Yep, I agree. All right, Dr. Doctor Littell, go go forth and help people. <laughs> and hopefully we'll talk exactly. again soon. Yeah, thanks. Same to you. Help okay, me. Adam, you can. You, thank you so much. Okay, so it's uh, johnlittellmd.com, and also the event is the Florida Summit on COVID, uh, and that's going to be this Saturday from 10 to 3. And again, you heard him say it's filled up. I think they have a ton of medical people coming to this, which is great. It's just great, but it would be great to watch it online, and you can do that by going to eventbrite.com and looking for Florida Summit on COVID. So uh, pass, share the word, pass the word, and um, you know, doctors need to hear what's true. Uh, so many of them are believing the CDC and the NIH and the FDA, and those organizations are corrupted. They're just corrupted. That's all there is to it. And so we have to get the word out because people's lives are at stake. And so... Um, all right, enough of that. When we come back, the Supreme Court is uh, hearing a case on uh, their ability to conceal, carry concealed weapons. And so uh, it's fascinating. Stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. All the condemnation that you and I deserve was leveled on him when he died on the cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a truth that is, how that should liberate us and free us. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church, our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. 
AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. Thank you for standing with AFA, and we thank you for your support. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah weren't the only Jewish exiles in Babylon. They weren't the only people under Nebuchadnezzar who knew that Yahweh expressly prohibited worshiping graven images. Yet they are the only three recorded in Scripture who refused to bow down and worship the golden statue. Though they were an extreme minority, they refused to go along to get along with the Babylonian culture. The way of Christ following may be in the minority today. It is nevertheless the way. Resolute is the disposition of the fully persuaded. In this modern-day Babylon, be one of the three. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Every year since 2016, Engage Magazine has given you the chance to send letters to persecuted Christians and missionaries around the world. It's called the Orange Letter Campaign, and once again, we're teaming up with Global Outreach International to allow you to encourage those who've sacrificed so much for Jesus Christ. COVID-19 has had a profound impact, making it even more difficult for missionaries to share the gospel or to help those in need. They're far from home, and many are having to stay isolated. Some missionaries have even lost funding. But God hasn't forgotten them. The Orange Letter Campaign is a great opportunity to remind them of that and to let them know we haven't forgotten them either. It doesn't take long to tell a little bit about yourself, share some Bible verses, and include a prayer along with some encouragement to keep them strong in their faith. In fact, 200 words or less is all we're asking for. But hurry, the deadline is November 5th. Send your letter today at EngageMagazine.net. EngageMagazine.net. This is Frank Effney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The political world's focus on today's hotly contested election for governor of Virginia may obscure temporarily the launch of a riveting book about the previous presidential one. Importantly, Inside Trump Time by his former advisor, Peter Navarro, hammers home a lesson directly relevant to the voting in Virginia's Fairfax County and other Democratic strongholds. This insider account shows overwhelming turnout by legal voters, objective real-time monitoring of polling operations, and subsequent forensic audits to be essential to assuring election integrity. Dr. Navarro's personal journal also powerfully chronicles what he calls a plague year and policy fights over the COVID-19 crisis and the enemy regime that launched it against us, the Chinese Communist Party. And his documentation of the Trump administration's economic, national security, and strategic successes helpfully indicts the wrecking operation being inflicted on us by its Marxist successor. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Rios back with you. You probably know people right now who are uh, suffering from COVID, dying from COVID. I know too many myself, and uh, I just lay it at the feet of the malpractice of intentional, intentionally not treating people with uh, medicines that could make them well. It turns my stomach. I told you about a friend of mine in Northern Virginia who was uh, otherwise healthy. I went into the hospital with COVID. They did not give her therapeutic drugs. They put her on a ventilator, told her husband uh, she it was too late for, you know, uh, ivermectin and would not let her husband come in and see her, as is the protocol right now. 
and told him if he wanted to see her before she died, he'd have to sign uh, this uh, non-resuscitation uh, piece of paper. And he said he couldn't do that. So they let her die, and he never got to see her. This is criminal. This is criminal. And so I want to say, Dr. Littell, we were just talking, he asked us to pray for a patient that's very sick with COVID named James, and I didn't do it. And I, I'm going to take our, my good friend John Lott's minute, just a minute of his time for a second to do that. Let's pray for James right now. Father, I do pray for him. Uh, it's so hard because people get isolated in the hospital. It's frightening, uh, and they can't get good care. They cannot trust their doctors. And I know there are exceptions, but not enough exceptions. And so, God, I just pray that you would send people. Uh, I, thank goodness Dr. Littell is taking care of him, and we just pray that those medications would work and you would bring him back to health and that he would understand that your hand was in the healing of his body so that he could change his life and his future, you know, just the way he lives. Lord, we ask for transformation in every way, and we ask for your mercy on this country and your mercy on each of us. And I ask that personally in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, today, SCOTUS, uh, the Supreme Court, is hearing a lot of cases this week. We talked about it Monday with Kerry Severino. And one case we touched on but didn't talk about much was this case about um, coming out of New York City where they're going to decide whether you whether the law on the right to carry uh, a firearm is uh, just the nuances of that. No one knows about this better than John Lott. John is my good friend. He wrote More Guns, Less Crime 23 years ago, and he talked about this issue in that book. He's written a brief submitted to the Supreme Court, and I've asked him to join us this morning to talk about it. John, thanks for joining me. Good to talk to you again. So, John, uh, what is the case in New York that's being dis- what's the What's the issue here? whether or not people need to provide a good reason uh uh oh all right so you have to call him back <laughs> let me just say, okay let me just say uh, i think i know a little bit about this um it's they're trying in the in the new york law they're demanding that people provide a proper cause or a good reason why they need to carry Hello? a gun outside the home hey john Hello? Okay. John, hello. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. I've been able to hear you the whole time. I'm not oh, sure really? What's going on? Oh, yeah. I don't know either. Okay. Well, then you finish my sentence because you're a better explainer than I am on this. Right. Well, the the issue is whether or not people have to provide a good reason for being able to go and defend themselves outside the home. A good reason that's acceptable to some local public official. It's, Kind of like if you had to have a good reason to be able to go and practice your religion or provide a good reason to a public official to be a reporter or to uh, go and uh, engage in free speech. Um, you know, it's that's the basic question. There are eight states, uh, California and New York being the, the two prominent ones, that require that you have to give this what they call proper cause or good reason before you're granted a concealed handgun permit. Um, if you look at those states, only about 1% of the adult population in those eight states uh, has been granted a permit. By contrast, the other 42 states average about 11% of the adult population with a concealed carry permit. But it's more than just the number of people who get permits. It's also the composition. Uh, I was able to get a list of everybody in Los Angeles County who had a concealed handgun permit. About 7% were women, about 5% were black, 
you compare that to the nation as a whole, uh, where about 30% of permit holders are women and about 13% are black. Uh, you know, Democrats claim that they care about women and minorities, uh, but when it comes to deciding who has a good reason for giving out a concealed handgun permit, uh, you know, it's basically politically connected, very wealthy uh, white males that they were giving the permits to. And um, if my research convinces me of anything, it's the most vulnerable people are the ones who benefit the most from having guns, people who are most likely victims of violent crime, poor blacks who live in high-crime urban areas, and women uh, who are relatively weaker relative to what's typically a male criminal doing the attack. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting how they decide not only how few people have a good reason to be able to go and protect themselves, but also who they decide. You know, if you're a famous uh, politician or a uh, radio show host or somebody like that, maybe you'll get a permit. You know, I was just, uh, I was hearing someone discussing how safe Israel is, and this is not a new discussion, because there's so many guns, uh, you know, every uh, all the young people have to serve in the Israeli forces, everyone there, male and female, serves, they all know how to shoot, and almost everyone has a gun, and so that's why Israel is such a safe place when it comes to travel. And isn't it funny that so many of the left argue that guns, you know, make places less safe, and you've been writing and speaking for years John, about how actually carrying more guns makes a, an area more safe. So uh, Israel is kind of like a, a quintessential example of what you've been talking about. Yeah, well, Israel me, has one of the lowest murder rates in the world. Well, so there you go. And oh, another interesting thing that you point out in your brief is that uh, concealed handgun permit holders are extremely law-abiding. I think that's, in, that's a very interesting fact that you point out right away in your argument. Yeah, well, uh, if you compare the rates that uh, concealed handgun permit holders are are convicted of firearms-related violations, they're convicted at about one-twelfth the rate that police officers are. Police are rarely convicted of firearm violations, about one-twentieth the rate of the general population, but permit holders are even a much lower rate than police officers. Okay, let me ask you, uh, as the case unfolds today, uh, what justices do we need to watch? I mean, are there any that you are, I think pretty much, you know, the, well, all right, I'll just leave it at well, that. I'm sure what, you'll be shocked. Justices? I think it's probably, probably Roberts is probably uh, yeah. one guy to go and watch on that. I mean, the issue, uh, the reason why it's been 10 years since you've had another uh, uh, case dealing with gun ownership uh, after McDonald in 2010 mm-hmm. is Ben Roberts. He's pretty much told the other justices that if they bring up a case that he regards as controversial, uh, he's going to vote against them. You know, hardly the type of guy that promised in his confirmations that he would be, you know, an umpire that would be calling balls and strikes. You don't call a ball or strike on whether you're upset with the player or not. And uh, uh, and so neither the other the four conservative judges or the four justices or the four liberal ones would bring up the gun case because they were worried then that he would vote against them. Uh, with Amy Coney Barrett, uh, that seemed to break the logjam on that. And, uh, you know, this is one case that will show the difference of her being on the court because 
you've had four justices uh, who have, for a while, have said that it's about time that they revisit the case. Because um, after the the two cases over a decade ago, um, the lower courts have kind of done what's called a balancing test, which uh, they've they've basically, in most of these cases, set a very low bar for whether determining whether or not a, a state or a local government has had a good reason to regulate guns. So hopefully uh, it will not just deal with the issue that we talked about before, but also more clearly state what the standards are that the lower courts are supposed to use for evaluating these cases. But I'm assuming that none of the uh, the four judges on the left will will be in favor of this. I mean, they're all probably in favor of limiting gun rights. So really, if Roberts goes badly on this, it's just not going to that New York will, New York's uh, limitations will stay. Well, there are three. Right? Well, there are three liberal judges, justices now, uh, so if he goes badly on it, it will still, uh, my guess is it's still very likely that New York's law is going to be struck down, that New York's going to have to become like the other 42 states that are out there uh, in terms of granting permits. Um, you know, that's my bet. The issue will be whether Roberts will join the majority uh, and then have the ability to go and assign who's going to be writing the decision, uh, which he may or do it himself, which he may use then to kind of water down uh, what the decision will be. Uh, that's that's kind of my main concern. And so, when will we know? You think? Well, I don't know. The more controversial cases tend to be later in the term. Uh, you know, maybe as late as next June, but we'll surely know by then. Yeah. Okay. Well, by the way, John has an article coming out of Newsweek today about this. And so you'll want to make sure that you look at it. Go to Newsweek's website and get John Lott's article on this uh, uh, May issue versus right to carry. So, John, thank you so much. Crimeresearch.crimeprevention.org. Crimeresearch.org. Crimeresearch.org. Crimeresearch.org is the website for John's great work. John Lott, thank you so much. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.